Welcome to today's FS Club webinar, the EU AI Act, the State of Play. I'm Zoe Buckingham, an international marketing consultant with a particular interest in technology. So welcome everybody today. Um, I'd like to, just before we move on, thank our very generous sponsors who have been wonderful at allowing us to cover so many broad topics. So thank you to all of you. Now, just some housekeeping notes before we go any further. The slides will be available to download in the chat and on the website, and um, we will be holding a 20-minute Q&A session after our speaker's presentation. So please use the chat facility and send your questions to me. Um, I will then feed them into the conversation. In actual fact, um, our speaker has also asked that not only do you send through questions, but you also send through your thoughts at the end of the presentation. So based on what you knew before, um, how you feel afterwards about the topic. So perhaps if I could suggest that you put your questions in the questions box and your thoughts in the chat box, and we'll try to rifle through both towards the end of the presentation and come back to you on that. Um, so without further ado, it's my pleasure to chair this event today and to welcome Nicolas Moes, Director for European AI Governance at the Future Society. Nicolas is an economist focused on the impact of artificial intelligence on geopolitics, the economy and industry. He's the Director for European AI Governance at the Future Society, where he studies and monitors European developments in the legislative framework surrounding AI. Nicolas is a native French speaker, bonjour, uh, who is fluent in English and persists in learning Dutch and Mandarin. Well, full marks to you, Nicolas, for trying. Um, so without further ado, Nicolas, the floor is yours, and I believe we're starting with a poll. Indeed, indeed. Thank you so much, Zoe. Uh, very nice to be here. I am uh, um, really excited to have like uh, this this opportunity to to talk with all of you and to hear a bit more, also everyone else's perspective on on these questions. And actually, um, to kickstart this, indeed, there is there is a poll that you that you see here, right? Uh, where, quite frankly, like you know, in, let's say in preparation for the um, in preparation for the, uh, uh, the the Q and A, like I'd be curious to to see. Uh, what you what you think what uh, you have heard about the AI Act so far, like to the extent to which you know uh, about it. Um, so yeah, I see the quick poll is ongoing, right, Zoe? It is indeed. So I've not heard about this AI Act before. Um, I've heard a bit about it. Um, mm -hmm. I know it's rough content, or I've heard about it, and I, I'm actively following it, and I'm a, quite knowledgeable. Um, Interesting, interesting results. So um, yeah. we've got quite a few people who want to know a lot more about the AI Act. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Um, so that's that's very interesting that there are a few that have like uh, that that are actively following um, the debate and and uh, yeah, like sixty percent who are not following the debate and, and even yeah, thirty percent among them one who have not heard about the AI Act before. Um, so yeah, interesting results. Um, that's uh, that's that's good. And then, yeah, as uh, as Zoe mentioned, um, I'd be curious to hear your your uh, your thoughts. Like uh, afterwards, like you know, uh, also simply sharing your view. My question for you is, what do you think? If to the extent that you have heard about the act, what do you think of it? What are your concerns about it? What are your hopes about it? Um, and yeah, if you if you have a, if you feel confident enough to make suggestions about how to make it better, that's also something that I, I would be very curious to hear. 
Um, so thank you very much. Uh, with that said, I'm. Um, let me see. Let me share my screen. There we go. I'm, I'm going to quickly uh, then for for the, the the people who have not been uh, following the debate like very actively. So it seems like uh, um, over like roughly three quarter of the people might have uh, might benefit from this presentation. Um, for the others, sorry if if this is uh, uh, you know repeating what you, what you know already. Uh, but uh, in in I will try to keep it. Uh, brief, but uh, also want to welcome like questions from anyone, clarification question and that kind of thing. Like uh, after the presentation as well, if, if that's uh, if that's all right with you, I'll be able to to go to each slide after one. So the EUA Act, um, one of the key features for it is, is that the um, uh, it it based itself on a risk-based approach, as they call it, which is like um, embodied by these pyramids that uh, have, have like various. Uh, uh, levels and each level has a different level of risk and also it's a pyramid because like the top levels the riskiest one have very few uh, use cases that are considered uh, like at that level of risk so the the, the four level of risk are, are listed here right and so there are there are five prohibited AI practices there is like maybe uh, um, like 55 or something like that uh, standalone like a high risk so-called high risk uh, issues um, then there is like a broad range of a broader range of systems that need transparency, but that are not otherwise like constrained by the AI Act. And then like there are all the other AI systems uh, which which have no no constraints. So like it's really important to to see that like the 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 various uh, uh, the various uh, uh, levels correspond to various level of uh, obligations as well. Um, so for for prohibited AI practices, well, it's in it's in the name. It's simply like it cannot be placed on the market. Uh, then for the high risk AI system, this is really like the core of the legislation is has been has been designed for high risk AI systems. Uh, you have a broad range of uh, of uh, of requirements and obligations that uh, that come up. And then like uh, for AI systems that uh, that are uh, lower risk, like there is like for some of them, if they interact with users. Uh, they they need to to flag basically that there is like an AI systems that is being interacting with the the human uh, consumer let's say of the AI service uh, and then like for all all the other AI system there is just like an, an encouragement to to be responsible and to to develop code of conduct uh, so as I mentioned the high risk AI systems are the core uh, issue uh, of the of the AI act right and so there is like um, uh, kind of uh, various way. This is like uh, uh, perhaps a bit, uh, a bit too much into the nitty gritty, but like for you to to get a sense of what we are talking about here, right? It's like there are requirements on the system itself, so on the AI system itself, and there are obligations on the provider of the of the high risk AI system. So in terms of obligation, we need like the quality management, uh, tech documentation. We need to deal with the uh, logs, right? So there's there's automatic uh, there's automatic uh, logging features that uh, some AI system have. Uh, and then like registering the system and doing conformity assessment, etc. Uh, but in terms of like uh, requirements, this is where like it becomes very uh, technical, right? It's it's really about like developing uh, some data and data governance practices, having like a a system of human oversights for the system uh, uh, for the AI uh, product uh, itself, um, and then like yeah, assuring ensuring uh, accuracy, robustness, and cyber security of the system. So these are all requirements that have been um uh, in the um in the initial proposal of the ai act right however it has been now over a year so it's been a year and a half actually that uh, um like uh co-legislators have been discussing and there are many other ideas that uh, that have been 
uh, put forward, right? So one of the ideas that that is not appearing uh, here, but like one of the ideas among perhaps like a hundred different ideas, right? So that's why I'd, I'm not trying to list them all here, but like so to get you a sense of like, for example, environmental impact assessment or like notions of uh, uh, compute uh, compute uh, monitoring and, and that kind of thing, accounting for, for compute. These are other ideas that like legislators are currently like tossing around to see what is politically feasible and what is uh, what is beneficial for the objective of the ANAP. So um, before we we continue, like the, there is like a, uh, it's important to to understand that the AI Act is one of, of many digital policies, right? And and each of these digital policies have their own objectives. So uh, you might be familiar with GDPR, which is uh, for better or worse uh, extremely well known in the in, in the entire world now. The Digital Service Act, the Digital Market Act. Um, we have, of course, like the Data Act and the Data um, Governance uh, Act, which is, uh, yeah, the, the, that also has a lot of overlap with what the, the AI Act itself was planning to do, right? Because if you see in the previous slide, like one of the requirements is data and data governance. Um, and somehow there is like two different acts that are also uh, tackling two different like piece of legislations that are that intend to, to affect like uh, uh, the way we govern data. This is in addition to private data, like so, uh, um, like general data protection uh, regulation, which also is about uh, about data, right? So as as you might know, there is a whole constellation, and like here, for example, the general product safety regulation is is very uh, is very important as well for for AI, and they are currently updating it. Uh, so by they, I mean the, the the European Commission and the, the legislators, the EU uh, policymakers. And then there is the product liability, the product liability directive that is also being updated, um, and that is yeah, it's been a couple of years now that there's been like collections of feedback uh, about what to do with the the liability in a digital world, right, where a lot of these systems are opaque. So all of these have uh, like these six that are listed here. Have, uh, this is like the six main ones, but they are of course like for example for for industrial robotics, there is also the machinery directive for uh, medical devices that use AI, while there is also the medical device uh, uh, regulation. There, there are a, a lot of uh, different files involved. And so what distinguished the AI acts really uh, is this, uh, of course, like the, this focus on, on AI systems rather than on the data or rather than on the, rather than on the, uh, I don't know, the market practices of, uh, of some of, of the providers of AI systems. And uh, well, its objective is is fairly clear, right? The, the objective of the AI Act is really like to to kind of unify the the, the single market, the digital single market, uh, in uh, in the way like the AI, the AI products, AI systems, as they call it, um, AI systems, which by the way also include AI services, right? If you if you know AI as a service, uh, this is very much like the these business models would also be covered by the AI Act. Um, but so like uh, the the intention there is to ensure that like um, this um, uh, innovation is fostered in the EU, but uh, that also like the consumers, um, like all these AI systems, uh, respect the fundamental rights of citizens of EU citizens, and the safety and the health of the the consumer is protected. So it, it is a very broad kind of uh, type of uh, um, objectives, set of objectives for for the EU AI Act because it covers consumer protection, some innovative measures and kind of industrial policy measure, and also the, uh, the, the, the questions of like simply respect of fundamental rights, which is 
um, in the digital age. It's, it's like a fundamental di uh, discussion that like the um, society needs needs to have, right? So it's it's an important piece of legislation, and it's a it's a um, one that has been very controversial because there is so much potential for for each of that, right? So the the, um, the 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 objective here is is really to have like one act to kind of like um, tackle once and for all question like quote unquote once and for all the uh, AI system. So they they are also hoping that this will be future proof. Um, let me try to there we go. Uh, of course, to to enforce all of this, and and this is something that is that is quite common uh, in in the um, in EU legislation uh, is is to have like fines and, and penalties, right? So uh, the AI Act is a regulation, so it's not a directive, it is not a, it's not a communication, it's really something that is meant to be uh, implemented like uh, identically in all member states, and therefore like they, they also provide a kind of a, a schedule of, uh, of fines in case you are, uh, in case uh, like someone is uh, violating the, uh, the requirements or infringing the, that regulation. These requirements can go like six percent, uh, up to six percent of the yearly turnover. There is, of course, some debate. Um, there's a lot of debate actually uh, uh, about whether like six uh, percent is is too high or too low, given that like currently it seems from the from the DSA, from the DMA, but also from past uh, GDPR infringement. When we see market capitalization of uh, of um, of big tech companies that are found guilty of infringing some of uh, some of the regulation. It seems like these fines are being considered as like just a compliance cost uh, nowadays. So, so there is a bit of a debate uh, about these fines not being not being deterring at all um, for the the behavior of uh, of the uh, AI companies, uh, the provider of AI systems. So, let me try again to switch my slide. There we go. So, instead of the state of play, right? And this is something that uh, uh, you know, like this is an ever evolving thing. So, I, I am. Uh, um, following the, the debate, I am meeting with a lot of the policymakers around this debate to advise them and to, to provide the latest research that uh, the Future Society does. Right at this stage, like a lot of the, the nitty-gritty of the AI Act will be decided by standard-setting organizations. So some of you might be familiar with uh, Sense and Elec and Etsy. Um, I mean, the equivalent in the UK would be the, the uh, BSI, right? Um, and uh, this standard setting organization have a mandate from the European Commission to develop kind of like um, the, the, action, the, the actionable guidance, the operationalization of the requirements of the EUAI Act, right? So, so for example, in the EUAI Act, when we talk about a risk management system, like the, the legislation itself will be saying, risk like a provider of, of high risk AI systems, Shall be uh, um, shall have a risk management system that is appropriate. They have like a couple of bullet points describing what the risk management system should do. But it's then uh, the standard setting organizations that will have to develop a standard, like a you know like the, the industry, the standard industry practice for how to develop a risk management system. And building upon like you know decades of expertise in uh, uh, in developing the standard system. Um, in developing these standards like for, for other industries, right? So there is a, a general risk management system standard, which is the um, ISO 31000, um, which, which is something that is very uh, influential across the industry because it is, it is something that is not specific to a product. It's about managing risk in business in, in general, let's say. 
Um, and so very likely like the European Commission uh, as they were drafting the EUA Act and the, the current policymakers as well, right? Like as they, they are kind of amending this AI Act and making proposals for how to improve it, um, they, they will rely on standard setting organizations um, for operationalizing these requirements. The, so that's an important player that is, you know, this is due to the, the way the EU does its legislation. It's like the, it relies a lot on, on expert input and these standard setting organizations are gathering experts, um, generally from industry, but also from academia uh, to develop these standards. So one of the key players like to, to bear in mind is the state of place that these standard setting organization, they, they have currently received the request from the, from the commission and by the end of 2024 they will have to uh, have developed uh, these, uh, these standards right so and for those of you who might know about standard setting this is basically they, they, they have literally like just now under two years because the, the deadline is like the 31st of October uh, 2024 they just have just under two years to develop like the standards uh, I mean or to develop elements of the standards and, and this is very short amount of time but yeah um, so that's the state of play on the standard setting side of things. The Council of the EU is one of the two main co-legislators. So for those of you who are um, not familiar with the way EU makes policy, um, the European Commission puts forward like a proposal for a regulation and then the Council of the European Union and the European Parliament, each of them have to develop their, their opinion about it. Their, 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 opinion which becomes their kind of starting negotiation uh, starting position in the, in the in the negotiation and so they are currently um, uh, you know these two of them are currently developing what we call the compromise texts so there would be a council compromise text which is the agreement among the 27 member states of what the EU AI act should look like based on the proposal made by the commission and uh, on the parliament side like they are also uh, developing a compromise text which is based on the compromise across like political families right so the socialists the uh, um, the conservatives the the liberals the the greens the um, right wing left wing or they, they, this is based then much more on the the citizens kind of they are meant to represent the citizens perspective uh, on on these matters while the council is meant to represent the geopolitics uh, like the, the the geopolitical agreement that is to be made so yeah the council of the eu one of these two co-legislators then it is actually very much about to finish its compromise. Like, so I had, I had a couple of meetings over the past two days where like the, the, the diplomats in charge of like negotiating this uh, compromise text are, are quite satisfied and happy uh, because for it's, it's been like, it took them like a year and a half, but now they, they, they have it. They have a compromise text that they feel uh, they're gonna vote on it in a month. Um, but like, it's basically now just like finalizing a bit of the legalese uh, involved with it. So. There is like good progress there, and like the vote is very likely to turn to turn out to be a yes, right? So the member states will agree amongst themselves that this is the compromise text. Then the European Parliament has actually been delayed for like I don't know, I would say six to nine months uh, because they they did not um, uh, among uh, within the European Parliament like the the MEPs were basically fighting over who should be in charge of this file. Uh, which which uh, member of the European Parliament, uh, members of, of European Parliament should be in charge of these files. So this took them like six to nine months. Um, and and yeah, so that, that kind of delayed them a bit, but still they, they intend to finish their compromise text in the first half of 2023. 
which is like, you know, it could be like as early as, as uh, February 2023, right? That they would have compromised. Once you have these two compromised texts, um, you actually um, have the trilogue phase, which is the, the way the Council and the, the European Parliament come together in a room that is moderated by the, uh, the European Commission in order to like kind of reconcile the two positions. So the two compromised texts are put, are put in parallel and they are then um, they are then being uh, kind of reconciled to see what makes sense to keep from one of them. And, and of course, this is like very politicized, right? Because this is generally like a bit of, uh, it all of a sudden becomes like, yeah, the parliament versus the council, um, which is uh, a bit of a, so on both uh, on both compromise text, there's been a lot of like um, issues that remain open. Um, the council has not really provided definitive solutions, right? So they put a compromise text where they don't have strong opinions about what is what should be the the I don't know the, the high risk categorization on the right. So they, they tend to agree with the commission for on this thing, and therefore they have not developed a separate approach to it. But like the the European Parliament, uh, which is still discussing like a lot of issues remain uh remain really like uh, uh controversial and experiment. like I'm, I'm listing here the definition of ai system the 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 general purpose ai systems like which is this notion of uh, of ai systems that are um reused by many other ai systems um by hundreds or even thousands of ai systems and like how to govern this this generally like a very complex uh very complex pieces of uh, software trained on, on data sets that are equally complex um, and then like there is the, the question of like categorization for high risk because one of the, of course, by making a risk-based approach to these issues, it is often the case that like people will ask, okay, why this is considered high risk versus while this is considered low risk, right? So this is like one of the most controversial uh, decision that the commission took by putting forward uh, a categorization mechanism that was very unclear. It was basically stating like, on a case-by-case -case basis, like each use case uh, will have to be assessed on, on whether it is uh, high risk or not. And of course, this became like uh, lobbyists, uh, the lo lobbyists in the digital sphere, like a uh, um, most important thing, because if you are considered high risk, all of a sudden you have all the, the compliance cost. While if you are, if you manage to make yourself considered low risk, uh, if you make your whole sector or like the, the, the whole use case in your sector, Considered low risk, you you basically are not worried at all about the AI. Um, I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt. Just just to uh, highlight the fact that we're nearly out of time for your presentation. Yeah. It's fascinating, but yeah. if you could just uh, have, just whiz through the last slide. Exactly. Yeah, I have I have just one last uh, one last slide. But just like in terms of uh, timeline, we are we are expecting this uh, uh, co-legislative, so the end of the the trilogue um, to be at some point between end of 2023 and the end of 2024, right? Uh, this is something where where people seem to agree on that, and then there is a two years grace period before, like you know, between the the the, the agreements at the legislative agreement and the entry, I mean, and the application of the. Uh, so just flagging, like uh, it might not, not might not be clear, like to you, why does it matter? Well, um, one of the quick situations that we can that we can have here is that you know, if imagine that you are you know as as you do every day, right? Like you. You are leading your business or, or your department or your team, your organization, and like you have been successful at digitalization, but like you're now kickstarting the AI transition, and all of a sudden, you know, you you have uh, you you fail some of the aspects that are uh, that leads to to a lot of um, to a lot of like 
public outcry, right? So something about like discrimination when you do job interviews or something when you your data practices were not were not set right. Well, you know, it's it's like currently this is a lot of like PR concern, right? It's it's about like okay, we we don't want to do that because it affects the brand, but now it actually will become a lot more about uh, legal and and compliance concern for for this thing, right? And and of course, like as a business, this matters a lot, and that's why there is so much lobbying around the AI. But of course, like the re the reverse is there, right? Like as a as a business um, or, or as a as a as an individual, actually, you there are many situations where you end up without even knowing it, being the the, the victim of like AI systems that are that are misaligned, that are dysfunctional uh, AI systems that are basically, you know, evolving in a gray area of the of the legislation, and and like that therefore results in in uh, some businesses being treated unfairly or some citizens being treated unfairly. Even without the intention, like even even without the counterpart's intention for that, and so like uh, uh, with this with the stringency, like the AI Act would would actually help gain some trust in the market. So yeah, that is that is about it for for me in terms of like what I what I say to you. But like I'm, as I mentioned at the beginning, I would really want to to hear uh, more uh, from you and to hear your your opinions on this. Just a quick uh, a quick note that I, I yeah I work at the Future Society as Zoe mentioned. And the Future Society's mission is to to align AI through through better governance. So we are really working on like developing some mechanisms that are cost effective, that do not like impede innovation, and that that are actually effective at improving uh, the at improving the situation, let's say, uh, on the market. Because that's true that there is a lot of there is a lot of hype, there is a lot of uh, abuse, and at the same time, this is a technology that can have so much uh, so much benefits for if 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 only everyone was much more uh trusting of that technology so yeah um here are my contact details and, and like i'd be happy to as i mentioned at the beginning i'd be happy to hear your thoughts um zoe i guess i i can just pass it pass the pass this on to you thank you so much thank you so much thanks that was that was really interesting and um, very educational for all of us and learning about uh, this incredibly important legislation that's emerging. Um, and Nicola, there have been so many questions from the floor, so that's why we wanted to get through to that. Um, so Andrea Thiel um, was, was asking, um, how do you see the consequences on industry of um, this, this act? So won't the, the rules that are very strict block usage and internal education on sandbox use cases? I'm not quite sure, Andreas, what, what you mean by so, that, but I guess yeah. there's a concern about the restrictions um, and, and what they might yeah. do to innovation. I see. Yeah, no, uh, the sandbox uh, uh, mentioned is, is a concept of like regulatory sandbox, which has existed yeah. actually in the UK. There's been like the financial uh, authority and the, the energy, um, uh, yeah, I think the energy uh, authority has also been like pioneering the use of sandboxes for for, for the for regulatory sandboxes. So here, um, perhaps also like, uh, and, and let us know, uh, Andrea, if I, if I misunderstood the question, right? Like um, here, the impact on industry will be uh, quite thorough. This is, we are really in an area that has not been regulated at all. That has not really, I mean, for the past, first of all, it's a very young area in, in, uh, um, in it used to be really more of a field of research. And now this is the first time that there is like a market open for it. Um, like since since 2012, let's say, um, and since 2012, like we have seen a, a dramatic growth in the 
the hype around AI, but also the fundamentals of, of, uh, of the market are, are good, right? There is a lot more revenue and, and this kind of thing. So here, for the first time, you have a, you have a legislation that will actually force all of these um, companies to all of a sudden, you know, even develop a legal department, develop a compliance, uh, compl uh, even like simply follow standards, technical standards, right? This is something that like, I expect a lot of disruption in the industry. Um, only the, the best, the most agile at, at adapting themselves uh, will be, will probably uh, kind of like manage to, to, to recapture this new market. So we used to have a market for like, AI, like whatever the quality of AI, and now like this, this regulation kind of forces, um, kind of like everyone to 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 do high quality AI, which will disrupt a lot of uh, a lot of the the industry players, for sure. And this disruption will probably like uh, look like you know creation of new startups that specialize into the uh, you know explainable AI or like uh, uh, into the uh, accuracy and robustness testing for AI system because this is one of the requirements. But also you know adjustments like uh, the, the, the same way we have seen like you know digitalization uh, being adopted we're now gonna have like an additional layer upon digital like upon the automation um, aspect and that will be a layer that is more about the trustworthiness of it um, so yeah yeah so it sounds as if it's, there's going to require a lot more specialization which we saw of course around data with gdpr um, and Nicola, another question from Hugh Purser. Could you give us more examples of the companies or, or the, tech, the uses of technology that might fall into those high-risk groups? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, the high-risk uh, is uh, a critical infrastructure, so AI system that is used for the management of critical uh, infrastructure um, in many ways. Uh, Education, so AI systems that are used to assess students or that whose decision directly affect students um, like uh, curricula or that kind of thing, these, these will be considered high risk as well because of the lifetime impact. Oh, sorry, by the way, uh, I say these will be considered high risk. There is, a, as I flagged, right, there is a lot of debate and actually education is something that uh, currently is, is like people seem to be more and more saying that this shouldn't be considered high risk. Uh, and critical infrastructure is, is now like expanding to also mean like communication, um, like you know even even kind of like end user communication. So so this is um, this is the very uh, uh, yeah uh, fluid. But like the initial proposal had like critical infrastructure. I mean a few few use cases in critical infrastructure, a, a few use cases in education, um, asylum and migration decision, law enforcement, uh, judicial uh, operation access to public services. Um, uh, we had like also the, um, the uh, there are two more that have uh, been, because it has changed so much that I, I forgot which one were the original ones. Uh, let me quickly get that for you. The, um, yeah, so as I mentioned, the, um, the critical infrastructure and the, oh yeah, biometric, of course, biometric identification and uh, um, categorization of natural persons. So like real-time uh, facial recognition or real-time uh, uh, gait re recognition of real-time like uh, uh, emotions recognition and all that would be considered uh, high risk as well as like employment and worker management. These were the two uh, sections. So like as for, as for education, like some employment decisions are, affect the lifetime of a citizen. 
and these decisions would uh, would be considered high risk um, because if if the AI system is biased, for example, it would actually over time result in systematic discrimination on the labor market and that kind of thing. So yeah, employment, management of worker, or or like um, yeah, access to self-employment as well. So yeah, these are the these are the uh, the eight uh, areas, and each of them is like some very uh, specific um, require. I mean, some specific use cases that are considered in it. So it's not like if your industry is in is in education, it doesn't mean like if you are optimizing the uh, if your AI system is optimizing the uh, let's say the the uh, what what could we call that like yeah the, the allocation of uh, chairs uh, in in the in the classrooms or something like that or the allocation of like uh, budgets or something like that in uh, in uh, in in uh, like across across like a, a school uh, itself like this is something that would be not considered high risk because it does not it's not directly about the the citizen um, uh, sorry the yeah, the the student in that case right so that's very to understand thank you Nicola um Mark Mosley was asking if you could just tell us a little bit more about the future society and your role in this process so is that because you're within the future society yeah. Yeah. so yeah of course i i uh the, so the future society itself it's, it's a 501c3 registered in boston right and this is a network like a uh it's it's a global i mean transatlantic like fully fully remote uh network of uh, researchers and and like um i am i have been for the past five years now they're the representative uh here in brussels i mean representative i i do i do research i started as a as a ai policy researcher there and over the past five years, like yes, I have, uh, I have now, I'm leading really all the European AI governance work, um, and this is something where like the Future Society intervenes here by providing like um, providing not only just research like like anything, but actually like concrete solutions. So a lot of the policymakers, for example, are curious to understand how to govern general purpose AI systems, uh, how to do like how to enforce the AI Act, like what is the operationally what does it look like to be in a startup that that produce ai systems like what can the authorities uh, uh actually reasonably request from from this uh, from this entity and so the future society does a lot of applied research to provide then like recommendations to the uh to the the policy makers so that's for the, the european side of thing but like we we operate globally right so we have uh, a lot of our researchers and, and myself actually i i am also in the the OECD uh, expert groups on AI, with the Global Partnership on AI, the Trade and Technology Council. Um, we operate uh, on all these fora where, where significant governance decisions are being made about AI. So every time like decision makers come together, even with industry, right? So sometimes industry, there are some industry initiatives that reach out in order for, for getting some help and some like kind of independent advice about what is the best practices in something or, or the other. Um, yeah, happy to talk more about the Future Society. Like, uh, if you are interested, you can reach out to me, and I can I can give you more uh, more uh, uh, answers, and we can talk a bit more on that if if you are interested, for sure. I think it is helpful to the audience because I think it's useful to understand how this kind of legislation comes to birth and the people who influence it along the way with their yeah. various areas of, of expertise. And on yeah. that note, Nicola, Nicholas Bailey um, has been asking um, about whether this legislation is going to put a formal definition on the term AI. I mean, having working in the technology space, all sorts of things are labeled AI, which really aren't always AI. Um, yeah. So it sounds like there's a, there's a need for that too. 
they do uh they they have a need uh they do have a need for that uh it is like it will become legally way too uncertain not to define ai so the original proposal was uh putting forward like the definition of a, a, an ai system is a, a system with a, um human uh, with a human given objectives uh and whose decision influences its environment let me quickly check whether i got that right yeah so it's a software that is developed with one or more of the techniques and approach uh, listed um, below uh, that can, for a given set of human-defined objectives, generate outputs uh, such as content, predictions, recommendations, or decisions. And so, the list of uh, the list of techniques that consider that are considered AI um, was actually very broad. It was like all machine learning approach logic and knowledge basis uh, sorry logic and knowledge based approaches and then like quite controversially statistical approaches which is something that uh, statistical approaches like a lot of the excel macros and a lot of like uh, multilinear regressions that you would use to to do some more advanced business analytics would be actually affected would be considered statistical um uh, approach right so so this is um uh something that like that definition was very very broad but so the, the justification for that is that they do a very, very broad uh, definition and then they have extremely narrow definition of what is actually risky and therefore what is actually in the de facto scope, right? And so like for, for that, this, this very narrow approach, like, um, yeah, like that has led to a lot of controversy. Um, but the, um, yeah, the, the overall point here is that this definition is likely to be amended 20 times over the next, uh, over the next 12 months. Uh, I've seen now. I probably have seen like 25 different uh, definitions of AI for this this AI. Personally, because I was working on the definition of the OECD back in 2017 and 2018, I feel the OECD definition is better. Um, some people in the European uh, Parliament, in particular, are very keen about the OECD definition. But yeah, uh, this is like something that like it's no longer about what is the true definition or what is the correct definition. It's really about a political compromise right now. And that's that's uh, yeah that's sometimes as a think tank the future society is always like kind of keeping in mind the ground truth and the ground like the, the approach that would be the, uh, the the best like I mean you know standards and and the OECD have converged on the on the on the definition that is that makes a lot of sense um, and then like we see we see of course like big players uh, uh, throwing a lot of money behind lobbyists to affect the definitions uh, in ways that don't often makes sense uh, i must say but yeah um, and by the way civil society as well right civil society would want to have like a lot of uh, a much broader definition um anyway very helpful thank you nicola and um frederick mcmallon has asked do you believe some organizations using ai have lost control over their machine learning and that it's having a negative impact on eu citizens so um it, it's this lost control so it's not just the AI system, right? It's, it is also the processes around the AI systems. And when you look at this kind of, uh, when you look at this, like, uh, yeah, this whole process, which happens to involve an AI system, yes, I do think like a lot of uh, companies over the past five to, to 10 years have been kind of like um, sometimes, you know, misled by, by, uh, by a lot of uh, players uh, that, that came in and said like, yeah, we're gonna give you some AI stuff, but like you don't need to understand how it works. It just works, it's magic. And that's contributed a lot to the hype. But now it has also like led to a lot of, uh, yeah, lack of 
control, but not in the sense of like the AI uh, and, and AI robots uh, or something like that doing something on its own and, and nobody controlling it, but like uh, having actually like no proper human understanding of the whole like pieces of the process. Right? It is something that is quite uh, quite important uh, to to bear in mind is the fact that like you know there is liability in the the human being, so the human being would need to know what is going on because like a, an AI system cannot be liable of uh, of something. It's it's just a tool. It's uh, um, it's how the how the, the businesses develop it uh, and deploy it that that uh, determine whether it's used for good or bad. Like, can I ask? Um, I've, I've worked with clients in producing what's called explainable AI. Yeah. Um, so is this is this a potential route to a bit more clarity around AI processes? Yeah, for sure. So the 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 key, whatever the outcome of this legislation, one of the key um, uh, uh, takeaway, and I think one of the key um, benefits for society as a as a whole, right? Even if the AI Act becomes the, the most terrible uh, legislation, or even if they, they simply like scrap it out altogether because they cannot agree on anything. Um, even then, we would still have like the technical standardization committees set up, working on defining what are the best practices. We would have also a lot of, uh, uh, you know, like maybe not, there is no requirement for explainable AI, right? But there is definitely a lot of requirements for like uh, transparency and like uh, accuracy and robustness, which requires somehow understanding what is what is happening in the background? Uh, there is also a lot of uh, uh, requirements on simply data governance to understand better why your data set is uh, is resulting in this or that recommendation. So so yeah, it will clarify a lot um, what uh, explainable AI means. Um, it will help. It will trigger a lot of research about how to operationalize aspects of explainable AI. Even though we do not have the, um, we, there is no like article currently that says like, oh, AI should be explainable. Um, it, it is more like some more fundamental aspects such as like yeah, transparency and uh, accuracy and robustness. Um, so it's a, it can be used as a way of supporting the process of being more transparent. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, it, it is. It is one yeah. one one implementation of this. And by the way, even though there is no standards being mandated about explainability as well uh, itself, right? There is a, a broader standard about trustworthiness, and in trustworthiness, explainability is a, is a key one, right? But it's also a very costly uh, requirement to impose. So again, it becomes political about what to whether or not to uh, to impose that on on companies. Yeah. I can understand that. Um, just very briefly, as a last question, Nicola, um, yeah. you, you've talked about some of the challenges of, of the European approach. Could you say, just in you know, like three words, what you would say are the benefits of the European approach yeah. to this legislation? For sure. Like I think it is, it is extremely. Um, it will provide a lot of legal certainty. So that's that's one of the thing, and it will also simply like I, I genuinely believe that currently the versions that are circulating, even though there is disagreement, most of them add value. Most of them are really like gonna make the consumer a lot more over the long term, like startups and uh, small businesses that have not yet deployed AI, and 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 consumers will feel a lot more confident into purchasing AI systems, and therefore the market will grow. And this is a market of higher quality as well, because I mean we have seen this kind of thing happening with the uh, aviation industry or the machinery, uh, the machinery industry, the industrial uh, robotics industry. So yeah, I think like it will it will increase like legal certainty for for sure, and I'm very confident it will increase also the, just the trustworthiness of the whole industry. 
which has been plagued by a lot of scandals in uh, recently. Understood, Nicola. Thank you so much. And that's that's been very, very helpful. How insightful um, all of this uh, was. Thank you very much, Nicola Moe, for you. taking us through this critical piece of legislation. And I'd also like to thank once again our sponsors, who are from a very diverse range of businesses, as you can see, um, where they're not just from the financial services sector, although that's very important, of course. A thank you to all of you for listening and providing very interesting questions today. And um, finally, um, we have some exciting events coming up and it would be great um, if you could attend as many of these as possible. I'm sure you will find those um, really fascinating too. Uh, there's more discussion on stable, stable coins and their role in the whole kind of crypto ecosystem, um, Chile and its work on sustainable finance, um, education in times of emergency, and why employee um, share ownership matters. So thank you to you all. Have a wonderful day, and we look forward to seeing you all again soon. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you, Zoe.